everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. My guest today is Andros Purde, co-founder and CEO of OutFunnel. OutFunnel is a company on a mission to unite the worlds of marketing and sales. Prior to that, Andrus was PipeDry's head of marketing and helped the company grow from zero to 70,000 paying customers. He has held a variety of marketing roles at Skype, as well as senior marketing roles in FMCG and media companies in the Baltics. He's an active participant in the European tech scene, marketing scene. He's also an angel investor and a regular speaker at tech events. I'm doubly excited to have this conversation with Andrus today. First, email marketing is a mature market. And so I want to hear about why he wants to get into this market. And two, having led several B2B marketing teams and lived the pain of the marketing and sales alignment, I'm very interested in hearing Andres' ideas and plans on closing this gap. So welcome, Andres. Hello, and thank you for inviting me here. Let's start off with actually OutFunnel. What is the pain that OutFunnel is trying to solve and who is this pain for? OutFunnel is the most boring piece of marketing technology you can think of because the only thing we do is we help to connect uh, sales and marketing data uh, easily and deeply. And clearly, it's a pain. And so that's the pain. And that's not the pain for larger companies because they have the budgets and the tools and the people to throw at this problem. But for smaller, medium-sized businesses, sales and marketing data lives in different tools and different teams often. So connecting that is a hassle. And we're here to, to hopefully make it a lot easier. So when you say for bigger companies, they have teams and money to throw at it, what do big companies do because of this disconnect? I mean, larger companies can just buy something like Salesforce and all the adjacent tools. I think HubSpot is now uh, going more and more up market. And they have a perfectly good tool for a large company. They have everything that they can have in terms of having this as a marketing data together. They can get from this one-stop shop or like an, uh, a marketing suite. What about the SMBs? What are they on and why do they have this disconnect? I think they are on uh, headache pills most of the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> there used to be this two mar- marketing technology trends going in parallel. One was this kind of all-in-one suits, uh, like HubSpot, for instance, and the other possibility was just pick and mix or best of breed tools. So you can use something like PyTrive for sales and something like Active Campaign for marketing. These two concepts were almost competing with each other for which of these setups wins. And now it seems that they have converged. All the big marketing suites, all stop shops have built their marketplaces where you can use their suite and still connect other tools uh, to the mix. I think SMBs can either use uh, smaller tools or use maybe one big platform. But in any case, their data lives in different tools that I think has remained constant. I want to go back to your experience at Pipedrive. You were head of marketing at Pipedrive. Is it being there that made you realize that this problem existed? Can you tell me a little bit about your journey to deciding to start OutFunnel? The story of OutFunnel starts in a couple of different places. One of them was definitely working at Pipedrive, where I was nearly seven years as the first marketing in the team and then later built the marketing function there. And I, I made it a habit to speak to customers or at least read the customer feedback on a regular basis. Here's something over and over again. Hey, we love your sales tool, but we find it a hassle to connect marketing tools to this wonderful sales tool. 
at some point you, you have the urge to do something about it. And then also uh, I had entrepreneurial attempts or daydreams <laughs> for a while. And I had looked for this opportunity to do something on my own. And I figured that that was a good time to, to put uh, these, these things together. I, I read some of your blogs and I was really impressed by the amount of validation you did before you decided to launch OutFunnel or maybe it was in the process of launching OutFunnel. But obviously, one of the reasons is because it's a pretty mature market. People understand it. So you have to be very clear about the problem that you're trying to solve and who you're trying to solve it for. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about your methodology and process you use to validate the idea or to refine the idea? Yeah, happy to. I mentioned that I had been involved with different startup projects before and all of them failed or mostly failed. And then the reason was that we wanted to build something uh, which I thought was a cool idea and without checking whether the market thinks the same. I got really tired of, of failing. Before writing even a line of, line of code for OutFunnel, I, I did more than 120 interviews. And also now, before we launch new features or integrations, we try to uh, speak to as many people with that problem uh, before we start building. The validation is something which is now in my blood before deciding on what new integration to build. We will have dozens, if not hundreds of landing pages for it. We will have run some ads for, for the different landing pages to see what clicks. And, and then we also have fake signups. And then uh, you have somebody like me reaching out to the fake signups after the signup and then asking them to hop on a call, sometimes bribing them to be on a call just to learn more about the problems that they're trying to solve and really validate the problem. That I think is the most important thing is validating the problem. The solution, I think you have to figure out yourself. But as an entrepreneur, the one thing you can do is do some quantitative tests as well as interviews to validate the problems that people have. I think one of the problems I find, I, I hear a lot of entrepreneurs know the value of validating and doing customer interviews, and mm -hmm. a lot of them do it. Mm -hmm. But what I personally am interested in is, especially when you talk to 120 people, how do you take that unstructured conversation and make sense of it? What are the tools or process you use to come to a definitive outcome from 120 conversations? There's two things here. So one is the number of 120. Maybe I was doing too many. Just maybe I was too careful here. But uh, truth be told, I think we started building at around interview 70 or 80. I just wanted to continue to learn more about the, the problems while still already building the product. And second thing is, because I was working in a sales tool before at Pipedrive, I, I learned to use like, CRM really well. I, I, I learned the concept of custom fields there and how you can uh, take notes in a CRM, but also turn some of these notes into structured data. I made a habit of taking an excerpt of the notes and then saving it in a particular field inside the CRM, where there's the tools they use that was contents of one field or the main challenge they have uh, was in another field or the most surprising thing about this interview. Later, if you make all these interviews turn into a spreadsheet, then it's really useful to, to pull up all the people with who use a particular uh, tool or all the people that have a particular problem and then look at that uh, selection or segment alone. That's really interesting. So now you've done this validation, you've taken the structured data, you've done some analysis and you see that there's a problem mm -hmm. that is worth solving. How did you determine whether this was just a feature that one of the big guys is going to soon develop 
and build or whether this was worth actually building a company around? Mm -hmm. There was no clear binary answer here. But there was a gut feel of having worked in a CRM company. When PyTrack got started, there was lots of people saying CRM is an established market. There's no need to build yet another tool and, and Salesforce can just build this feature in two months and then you're out of the business. But what I learned is that if you have focus in a large market, you don't need to worry about competitors too much. If you're in a large market and you've validated the problem which is unsolved, despite it being a large established market, go for it. I think at some point you have to take a leap of faith because... No amount of validation will tell you that it's a risk-free bet. So there's always some risk. I think that's the job of entrepreneurs is to, is to jump in when the water is warm enough not to get frozen immediately. What stage of company are you now? We're currently 10 people. Uh, we've raised uh, more than a million euros, so not too much. And we serve more than 500, soon I think a thousand paying customers around the world. So still... At relatively early stage, but with funding big enough and then revenues big enough to be able to grow at a nice pace. I'm going to get to the customers in a second. But before that, this is a mature market. Mm -hmm. What are the challenges you're facing in entering a mature market? The problems are easy to see. It's, it's an established market. You as an entrant have to work 10 times harder to get your message heard among all the other messages. And I think that's true independent of the market you're in. The positive thing is, because it's an established market, you didn't need to generate demand. So the demand is already there. All you have to do is capture that demand and then have a unique viewpoint or unique solution to, to the problems in the market. I think all my questions are leading to this point where you're talking about there's existing demand. You already have proven by having 500 customers that you're able to capture that demand. Mm -hmm. I know that you come from the pipe drive culture of content and inbound. Could you maybe walk me through the steps you've taken to get your first 500 customers? There's the easy answer to that and the more nuanced answer. The easy answer is just make a good product or make a unique product. And the, the one thing we do well, the only thing we do really well is we sync sales and marketing data. We do this better than many more established companies or uh, more kind of mature products. So uh, if, if the product is good and if you have even semi-good in marketing, that's the simple answer to, to all the questions. <laughs> the more nuanced answer is that we took it step by step. So what got us to the first 10 customers wasn't what took us to the first 100, was what, which wasn't what took us to the first 500, which will not be what will take us to the first 5,000. The first 10 customers was really hand-to-hand -hand combat, just looking for friends, acquaintances, enemies, just asking, bribing, bribing them to, to sign up and try the product. And then the first 100 customers, we were lucky by design in the sense that we launched around the same time when Pipe Drive's apps marketplace got, got rolled out properly. So we were not the first, but one of the first uh, apps in the apps marketplace. And we had a pretty good, although not a very reliable, but pretty good solution to an uh, existing problem. And we grew with the marketplace. So Python was promoting the marketplace. We were there. We had good reviews. That put us the first 100 customers. And then it wasn't our plan to be working with only one CRM anyway. So then the problem or the, the challenge became what CRMs to work with next. And I think the quite a bit of validation of running various landing pages, tests, talking to different CRM customers, looking at different APIs, and then we picked uh, Copper as our second CRM. And then really nurturing that relationship has gotten us like the next milestones. And now we are also have an integration with HubSpot CRM. 
which we launched six months ago. And I think what will get us to the next uh, hundred, or so the next uh, thousand customers is again, I think we need to change. Uh, I think CRM's one, one by one is one slow way to grow. We're now also in the process of changing the product uh, quite comprehensively because we have had nearly three years to learn about the problem. And then we, I think we found a, a better solution to solving that problem than we knew a year ago or two years ago. The initial first 10 to recap was your own network. Then the 100, you said, was mainly from the marketplaces where you were an app. So the Pipedrive marketplace and then HubSpot subsequently. The first 10, spot on. So it's hustling, just kind of doing things that don't scale. The first 100, in our case, was Pipedrive's app marketplace, which launched around the same time as we. But you can't repeat it. So because right now, Pipedrive's marketplace is already somewhat established. But I think if you look around in SaaS, every week, or maybe if not every week, then every month, there's a new marketplace launching. So at some point, the Zendesk Cell marketplace was really high on their priority list, and they needed they were looking for apps for that marketplace. It would have been a really good time to launch in their marketplace at that time. It was like maybe a year ago. And uh, I don't know exactly what marketplaces will we'll launch next month, but I'm pretty sure that one, some big SaaS player is, is launching in the marketplace and looking for launch partners there. So I think no matter which time, there's always a good marketplace launching, which is nascent, where you can just grow, uh, ride somebody else's wave to get your first handful of users, which hopefully gets you enough time to then figure out who your partner two, three, four, five will be uh, and what your own channels will be, because it's good to have partners for launch. At some point, you're going to need to become your own platform uh, and then build your own channels. How do you know which ones are launching next and be there? Uh, so for us, it's relatively easy because CRMs are the most logical things to integrate with, and there's not too many CRMs. There's a handful of big ones. So uh, you could just monitor them. The bigger players have established partnerships teams, which are easy to get in touch with. But also there's, I think, SaaS communities, various ones where you just kind of get yourself invited or enrolled and then uh, just talk to other people in the field and see what other people have. I think it's good. Like, no matter which business you're in, there's always some adjacent businesses which are not competing with you, but have a similar sales or marketing motion. Like for us, we do marketing automation and let's say doing proposals is similar enough and different enough that I can freely exchange and compare notes with somebody else who's looking uh, and running that business. What's your long-term vision? Are you going to become the next marketing automation platform, the next CRM? Or are you going to continue to be this niche player that helps align marketing and sales data between different systems? Software apparently is eating the world. So I think it's difficult to, to define what the niche means exactly. We're 15 years late to try to become the biggest marketing automation player. So we don't want to do that. But I think the niche, in quotation marks, of connecting this marketing data, that sounds very good to us. Zapier has shown that you can grow to a multi-billion dollar company just serving a small part of a market. We're happy with the niche of just making it easy to connect this marketing data for small and medium businesses. I want to go back to your time at Pipedrive. One of the biggest challenges always for founders and entrepreneurs is around marketing their product. So they, they create a cool product that is definitely differentiated. They even see value with the first 10 customers that they've got. The customers seem to like what they're seeing and find value in it. And then there's always this struggle from going from that 10 customers to a more scalable pipeline. Could you give some insights on what founders should do to help scale the pipeline and create 
a more scalable business from a sales perspective? The first stage is almost always hand-to-hand combat. If you're doing B2B SaaS, this is reaching out to your network, your advisors, your investors, and trying to find your first the single customer is very important. And then the first 10 customers as a rule of thumb also come from this kind of hustling or hand-to-hand combat. If you have the first 10 customers, the good news is you can interview them. You can see what the problem is exactly and what aspect of your product seems the most relevant. And you can see what kind of job titles these people have, uh, what channels do they read. And then that you can build a pretty good case of uh, what channels to use for getting your 100 customers. And then you'll get a sense of if you need more content or more ads or do you need a sales team or do you need self-service? And then you get your 100 customers. There's the first stage is hand-to-hand combat. The second is scalable weapons or channels. So you want to scale something like content marketing or maybe paid marketing or affiliate partners um, and you just need the proverbial machine guns and you need people behind these machine guns to just get not just one customer each time but, but several at the same time, like a machine gun. And then at some point, if you do things half right, you'll start getting customers just coming in and you need more people to to man these machine guns. And then I think then the the role of a marketing head goes from marketer to more like a hiring manager. Yeah. And how was your marketing organization structured? So at first, it was unstructured. So it makes sense to bring on uh, full stack marketers who can just do whatever it takes who are equally uh, comfortable in doing customer interviews all the way to then having some knowledge of, of, of how to get customers and who also wouldn't completely fail at uh, hiring and managing people. When I left, there was 23 marketers in, in my team. At first, I structured it poorly. I started it by channel. So we had a content team and then we had, a, let's say, a paid team and then we had a user onboarding team. Later, I think it just makes sense to structure the team by function. So we had an acquisition team, which brought people in and then an onboarding team or an engagement team who made sure that the customers we brought in uh, stayed. And then a product marketing team, which maybe is the most important team in a SaaS uh, marketing team, but I didn't know that early on. I learned it slightly late. And then you also have a communications team that is, is tasked with getting the word out and uh, your media, investor, analyst relations, these sort of things. The other question that automatically comes to my mind, especially where OutFunnel is currently and, and just your background in, as being head of marketing at Pipedrive is metrics. Mm-hmm. The, the reason this alignment between sales and marketing becomes so important is when you start thinking about marketing's attribution or contribution to revenue, it becomes really hard to track that. I've had this problem in a lot of companies that I've worked at where that the data is just not clean or not synced or not connected to make that metrics visible to the executive team. Curious to hear what you think are the key metrics to track for the marketing and sales alignment Mm -hmm. and how Outflow helps in that regard. Back to our original point of uh, marketing detail being in different places. So that's the problem. <laughs> Again, we are solving without funding. And it, and that was hard also at Pipedrive to just to make sure that we can get this data. It, it's possible to get data in the same place, but it's hard, especially if you're a startup or small business, you don't have the resources to, to do the data integrations and data warehouses and whatnot. But KPIs from marketing to sales, I think the the less you define it separately, the better. And the more you define it 
together, the better. I think the time of sales and marketing KPI separately is over. Uh, maybe it, it, it always should have been over. <laughs> but you can't be over that if, if your sales and marketing data are in separate places and if your sales and marketing teams are reporting to the CEO or their leader independently. I think what you're seeing right now is that you have more and more teams coming together as revenue teams. So you have uh, marketing people, sales people under the same roof. And then talking to our customers and, and companies around me, yeah, I think the more there is shared goals, let's say like a shared revenue goal and some kind of upstream goal, which is maybe new leads or new marketing qualified leads, qualified leads, then that's enough. But I think the more important thing is then having common processes and information exchange based on the data and, and new signups that come in. So having balanced common goals is a good start, but you need to also follow it up with shared rituals, uh, shared processes, and really kind of working together. And then in order to make that happen, you need somebody to want it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's the CEO who really then mandates that, hey, this is how we should work, my way or, or the highway. Or sometimes it has to be a sales leader or marketing leader that is smart enough and a good enough communicator to then pull the other team on, on their side and really start working together as, as one team. I see the new emergence of the chief revenue officer as kind of a unifier function between sales and marketing now becoming more of a norm. Mm-hmm. But even there, I feel like theoretically, the chief revenue officer should be sort of the bridge between sales and marketing. But I've seen the chief revenue officer also being just a salesperson with a different title. Yeah. And then the marketing is still disjoint. I don't know if you've seen better models of getting that organizational alignment in addition to the data. For the data and process to align, there Mm. also needs to be organizational alignment. I don't know if you have any thoughts, having been yourself a a marketing leader, on how you see that coming together or how it should be structured for companies to be really successful being data-driven in their decision-making. Again, there's no one-size-fits-all answer. And, and that's, I think, the good thing. There's different companies, different structures. The main thing, I think, is that somebody in the team needs to really want it. It doesn't really matter who it is. Is it a sales leader or marketing leader at, or the CEO or company owner? It doesn't matter what their title is. If somebody in the team really wants it and is kind of smart enough and good enough communicator, then, then it will happen. Uh, if nobody in the company really wants it, then it will never happen. If nobody takes action upon it, then you might just as well keep it separate. Who do you typically sell to? Do you sell into the sales team, the marketing team? Who have you seen being the right champion for a tool like OutFunnel? I don't have a clear answer. We call this uh, type of marketing revenue marketing. We didn't invent the term, but I think that's a good description. It's marketing uh, with the soul of driving revenue, implying that you can't really grow revenue if you don't work together with sales uh, and vice versa. And because all companies are different, we don't have like one job title or role we sell to. Sometimes it's the CEO. I think in around 35% of cases in small companies, CEO or owner is involved. And then sales and marketing, I mean, the title that's slightly tilted towards marketing, but not a lot. You can have splits between company leaders, owners, and marketing leaders uh, and sales leaders uh, pretty equally. There's no big differences between... Uh, the, the three groups we sell to. I think which is maybe a sign that what we do is relatively, it's not new. Sales marketing have always needed to work together. But I think the marketing data historically haven't been together. And now we can't say that the majority of companies has now established it as a norm that 
that, hey, this is how we work together and this is how the data should be. It's a, it's a new way of working that HubSpot started promoting 10 years ago before their focus got diluted with the other businesses and software. And we are just, we are carrying that banner now, along with a few other good companies. Do you see this as a new category by any chance or just a niche within a, a larger category that hasn't just been served for SMBs? It's probably a subset of two other categories, or it's, it will maybe morph to be a, a third category. There's a part of marketing automation, which should be revenue marketing automation, where I said marketing should work together. There's also a part of data integration, because data migration sounds painful. It also sounds like it's, it's too much, maybe. Like if all you need to do is, I want to see what marketing has done to leads before I speak to them. So I think there's a part of data integration tools that maybe should also be part of revenue marketing automation. We'll see what happens. But I think it's somewhere between these two bigger categories. It's like a Venn diagram of, of three uh, interlocking circles and what we do is somewhere in the middle. I wonder if pricing then is a challenge. How did you come up with pricing for OutFunnel? We put some effort and thought into pricing, but we have been far from deliberate with it. So we've chosen to not spend time on pricing because it's not the driving force of the business right now. So we have some pricing, we put some thought in it. We have a lot to optimize in terms of getting more uh, dollars from uh, one account. But for now, we've just chosen to have something out there which is not completely hindering us and we will we'll optimize it at a later time. Thinking that it's, it's more important for us to find a good product which solves a problem which customers have well and we'll figure out uh, the right price to ask for it the later time. Is there anything else I should have asked you about how you're trying to win in this crowded marketplace that I haven't asked? I could speak hours about working with larger platforms and how to get their attention. I think that is important to cover. I think you're always as a startup trying to leverage and make your money go far. And mm -hmm. obviously working with a big partner has a lot of advantages, but it also has a lot of challenges. So I think that would be a really helpful insight in terms of how you're working with these large platforms. I do it for two reasons. One is like in the VC-backed world, it's easy to raise some money, put it to work in Google ads and Facebook ads, and then you'll get some paid customers out of it. And then you'll get a nice funnel, which you can put in a slide and then raise more VC money to put more money in the funnel. If you prove that economics works, which has been the playbook and it still is, but I think it's just buying lots of ads. It doesn't seem the most interesting and efficient way to build a business. So we wanted to avoid it. Also, we wanted to avoid having to raise too much money and just giving it away to Google and, and Facebook. Uh, and then you're left with with, um, with things like content marketing and, and viral marketing. And, and I've used a lot of them in my previous lives at, uh, at kind of Pipes uh, and other companies I've advised or been involved with. But without Funnel, it wasn't super planned, but kind of became evident pretty early on that working with partners is the best way to go for us if we are kind of connecting this marketing data we almost organically can work with sales and marketing tools whose data we connect. And then there's very different players in the market. With some partners, all you can do is just list yourself in the marketplace and then hustle to get your first five and 10 customers, at, at which point they will notice you. Then you maybe can establish a relationship with others, like kind of smaller, maybe more startup-minded. You can have a very good relationship even before you start building. And then I think there's some mapping you can do beforehand by looking at available data and talking to other partners. But in the end, you just have to jump in and just 
start building and start hustling with each of the marketplaces and each of them will be slightly different. And I think that makes it difficult, but I think what makes it beautiful is that then if it works, it works beautifully because then you don't need to pay to Google or Facebook to get your new customers and your customers will come in and be almost uh, inherently sticky because uh, they are connected to two different tools uh, and you also are making a partner happy. So it's a win-win how do you make it work? What are the challenges in working with these big partners? And what are some of the strategies that have been successful for you? So the challenges are that it's hard to establish yourself as a, as a trustworthy player. Yes, maybe you're kind of trustworthy enough for them to take your call with you uh, and hear you out and then let you build the integration for the system, but that you'll always be a smaller player. I saw it from, from another side at Pipedrive. We had lots of integration partners who wanted to build integrations to partner and Pipedrive and then wanted some marketing support. Uh, and I think the one thing which made sense then and makes sense now is that you can't rely on bigger partners to drive customers for you. You have to do some work yourself. You have to identify the problem that their customers have beforehand. You need to find a solution and you need to take some risk to to build a solution even without any partner support. And then if you, if you get the first 10, five customers or, or 50, then if, if, if you can help yourself, your partners will also later help you find more customers. But it's foolish to, to hope to get customers from larger partners from like zero to, to 10. So you, that, that thing you have to cover yourself. Okay, well, so we've come to the end of the podcast and I have a rapid fire round where I ask you some general questions. So are you ready for that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, excellent. So as I said before, you have this beautiful bookcase behind you. I would love to hear uh, any book recommendations you have, books that you have read that have made an impact on you as a person or as an entrepreneur. The book I really liked and found useful lately is uh, Rory Sutherland's Alchemy. It's not a kind of business book or, or marketing book. It's a behavioral science book, first and foremost. Summary of the book is that Sometimes the best answers or the most elegant answers to the problems are not rational, but emotional, which doesn't sound new, but I think the example he, he uh, has about uh, railways and perceived value, if you want to grow the perceived value of railway service, you could make a big investment of billions into new tracks and new trains. Or you could invest a couple of hundred thousand into new notification boards, which tell you when the next train will be. And the perceived value I will be the same. So you solve something like an anxiety and an anxiety which then influences your perceived quality by something which is much more affordable and does the same job. And the same applies, I think, no matter where you look, no matter which business problem you have the same, I can just wear the same hat. And so how can I solve it 100 times cheaper? Uh, and usually there's a way. That's really insightful. Yeah, you're right. Perception is sometimes the name of the game much more than something underlying that's much more difficult to solve. Okay, what about a productivity tool? I'm churning unhappy customer of Evernote. I've been trying to churn from it uh, for, for months already. I just haven't time to kind of, uh, move my notes over. But I think it's good to have an app which has all your to-dos and all your notes. But you, you want that app to work. And I think Evernote's upgrade some four months ago ruined the experience for, for me, a Mac and iPhone user. It's still helpful more than it is damaging. Yeah. What about your favorite European city? It's got to be London, probably. Uh, I used to live there. 
for uh, four or five years and still has a special place in my heart. And my last question is your favorite quote. My favorite quote is that that too shall pass. It's a Buddhist saying, I think. It's a Buddhist, and I think Stoic, 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 so lay a claim to that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it just, no matter if it's going really well or really poorly, uh, or no matter, maybe it's just a boring day, nothing special, that too shall pass. It's always things tend to pass. I use that a lot. It's very calming. <laughs> well, Andres, thank you so much for being on my podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I don't charge guests to be on the show and your ratings and review help the show stay alive. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, keep building. Keep building.